Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. Time and hopefully it is not in the too distant future when we will be able to gather together again and worship and pray and celebrate our King Jesus all in the same room once again. These online Sunday gatherings help to keep us connected in these weird times we are living, but they most certainly cannot replace the -the in-the-flesh gathering. And maybe like never before, the church gathered has a renewed meaning for our little local expression of the church called Oak Hills, and perhaps it has a renewed meaning because we are not able to gather in this time. It's interesting today, and, and I love what people have done. There are pictures on the chairs here in the family auditorium of many of you. And so instead of staring at blank chairs, I'm actually looking at a number of you in pictures that have been put to the backs of these chairs. And it really makes this not the same as when we are together, but it certainly is a cool thing. In the back is Lucas Hansen. He's wearing his Captain America t-shirt. I recognized it immediately because up until very recently, I had one very similar to what Lucas is wearing. Diane Carlson is right down here in the front. Gentle Diane, in a picture I can't say I understand, is holding a chicken up in the air. Maybe Gentle Diane is getting ready to prepare said chicken for the evening meal. I don't know, but it is an interesting picture. Her husband, Kent, is next to her. He's wearing a hooded jacket and looks very similar, eerily similar, to the Unabomber. Um, There's also in the uh, back, we have a couple of dogs with us today. Jason and Elizabeth Dyer are in the back row. They have their uh, four-legged friend, Mickey. And the Libertis, all the way from Germany, are also in the back row with their one-of-a-kind dog named B-Dog. So this is not the same. There's also, by the way, there's also a picture of a guy right over here whose eyes are closed. He's sleeping. So... I won't say who that is, but just so you know, it's a very realistic situation. I'm stating the obvious here this morning, but our Sunday gatherings have been disrupted by the coronavirus, just like our everyday lives and routines have been disrupted by the virus. So we are now a couple of weeks into this new normal of staying home, working from home, schooling at home, online meetings through Zoom, stores are closed, the traffic is incredibly light. It's become this new normal. Every aspect of life, as you well know, has been significantly disrupted. And this disruption is inconvenient. This disruption is frustrating. But could this disruption also be a gift? And I'd like for us to consider for a few minutes today the gift of disruption, the wonderful opportunity for spiritual formation and growth during these days of disruption. Think for a moment about those things that we do that we don't have to think too much about doing. And we don't have to think much about them because they're automatic to us. They just happen without much thought. So we wake up in the morning, we let the dog out, we get the coffee going, 
we get ourselves ready, we get in the car, we drive to work, we drive to school. The morning routine is ingrained in us. Our minds and our bodies are conditioned to fulfill our morning routine without having to think about each step of the process until a spoke is jammed into the wheel of the routine and the routine is disrupted. For the past several months, we have had some work done at our house, and part of this work being done required us to move into the other bathroom for a while, use the other bathroom for a while. This disruption altered my morning routine, and I found it incredibly annoying and inconvenient on its best day, and I really disliked it. The bathroom we moved into is not as big as ours. The shower is not as spacious as ours. Every move I made I felt like I was bumping into something. Apparently, we are hoarding bottles of shampoo, conditioner, revitalizing gels, revitalizing lotions, and body wash. Because every direction I turned, I knocked one over in this smaller shower and bathroom. Moving into the other bathroom disrupted the morning routine. And as a result of the disruption, all sorts of new thoughts and feelings and reactions And words suddenly emerged out of me. Some of these were interesting. Some of them were encouraging and positive. One or two or 40 of them weren't so interesting or positive or encouraging. The morning routine was no longer routine. And this was actually the gift of the disruption. Because the disruption brought fresh clarity on what is churning beneath my surface, what's down in my inner world. And these new circumstances of having to use this other bathroom brought these new things to the surface, and without these new circumstances, I may not have seen these things. And I imagine similarly, the disruption of the virus has sparked certain thoughts or feelings or reactions or levels of stress or fear we may not have previously had or been aware of. The disruption of the virus has beamed a light, if you will, on, for example, our fear or our discontentment. Or maybe it's beamed a light on our consumerism and how frequently and how often we are going one place or the other to buy something. Or maybe it has beamed a light on our faith and gotten us thinking more about the thickness of our faith, the substantiality of our faith, or the thinness of our faith. So disruptions to our normal can actually be a catalyst for spiritual awakening and growth because they have the potential to snap us out of a kind of everyday hypnosis. And they awaken us, or they can awaken us, to what's going on within us beneath the surface? What fears are emerging as a result of the corona disruption? What's bubbling up in us in terms of fear? What new impulses to control things are surfacing now that we are in a period of time where there really isn't much under our control? What sort of anger is churning beneath the surface that has been triggered by these days of disruption? What Impatience has been triggered by being cloistered with people in our living quarters. 
What kinds of dis- discontentment, perhaps, do we sense within? Or maybe it's just we're beginning to recognize that we do not have the ability to be still in these days when we are kind of being told to be still. Disruptions like we are experiencing are most definitely times when the cracks and the frailties of our identity get exposed. And we have the chance to see with greater clarity who actually defines us or what actually defines us. Disruptions may also expose the tensions and the challenges in our closest relationships. In normal times, we can busy ourselves away from these relational tensions and challenges. We can preoccupy ourselves with other things in life. We can actually medicate ourselves so we don't have to deal with the tensions and the challenges in our close relationships. But maybe these days, those tensions and those challenges are surfacing. Or if we want to put this in the form of a question, can we actually be with those we are now forced to be with in these quarantined times? So disruptions have a way of turning on the lights, we might say, in our inner world and revealing more of the reality, the authentic reality of who we are and what we're about and what drives us and what we actually believe. And what we actually trust. So with that, I'd like to read our scripture reading today. If you would like to stand, I would encourage you to do so. If I stand, uh, you'll see half of me, but not the other half. So I'm going to just remain seated. It's very short. Uh, I'm just going to read two verses from Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. I believe the scriptures themselves, the actual uh, verses, are in your app if you want to follow along. So Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, this is the Apostle Paul writing. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I want to ask Colleen, our children's pastor, if she would come for a moment as we think about these things together. And part of what we want to do is is have an opportunity to talk uh, to families and to children and to parents a little bit in these strange times. So maybe, Colleen, just uh, two things. First of all, as you think about the time we're in and as families are together, uh, what sort of things can you think of for families to do, whether it be with a passage like this or just spiritual space that families can make in this time? Okay, well, the first thing I was thinking of was maybe to just sort of start to switch our mindset a little bit from one of, oh, this is so frustrating, to one of opportunity and invitation. Now, I realize that's not going to be easy and that's not something you can do in every situation. But one of the things that immediately comes to my mind is this invitation to step into grace, to step into forgiveness, to step into sort of a rest, family restoration in the trenches. Because let's just be real, um, parents are going to lose it from time to time. They're in this high kind of stress situation with their kids 24 hours a day, and 
they're going to lose it. And, but this is this amazing opportunity then to come back and to model, asking for forgiveness, um, stepping into restoration, talking with your kids about, about your feelings and how um, you really want more patience and how do you get it and all those kind of things. In the same way for kids, um, you know, they're having their parents teach them math and they're not doing it the way their teacher is doing it or... Um, you know, they're with their brothers and sisters, and it's extremely annoying because I can't get away from them. And again, what does it mean to, to offer grace, to live in grace, to learn and grow, to ask for forgiveness, to extend forgiveness? So families are getting an opportunity, I think as never before, to, to um, kind of really um, step into these things and, and feel out what it means to really live in them without running here and there yeah. and, and all the other things that normally come in, into our lives. And I think this is an opportunity for spiritual conversations in a way that they usually don't get um, because you do have time. So families having those yeah. kinds of conversations. Yeah, and I, I, I just want to throw out our app there. We've got a couple questions that maybe later today or sometime during this week you can sit down with your family and talk about and do together. That's good. Um, the other thing that you and I were talking about earlier that I think is relevant uh, for families to think about is there's such a level of fear that has risen up from all that's going on. So as, as parents and families think about this, what, what would you have to say about that? Yeah, this is huge, and I really want you to recognize that our kids are feeling this fear. Everything in their life that is normal has been taken away from them. They, they don't go to school. They're not being able to be involved in their sports or dance or all the different things that they usually do. Um, the only thing normal kind of, oh, even they, the playground, they're told, be careful, you know, don't, don't touch things, don't do all of this. They go to the stores and they see everything change. So everything has changed for them. And the only thing that is normal is being with their family, but even that is not normal because it's, it's all the time. So that is bound to be bringing up a spirit of fear in them. And then plus if you add into that if they are hearing any of the news and what that might be doing to their psyches. So first I want to say be aware that your kids probably are feeling some of this fear, just as you probably are. And help give them time to talk about that. Give them words. If they're really little, it might just come out in acting out. But they might need some words to help them understand that. So help them do that. And then, again, think about in those verses you read, you talked about, I think it talks about both entering with Jesus in his suffering, which they can relate to maybe as they never have before in a small way, but also the power of the resurrection. So what can that look like in our families to live in that power of the resurrection? Um, when, when Jesus rose from the dead, he defeated the biggest fear of all, which is death. So we have these opportunities now to look, I, I think, maybe memorize, start looking up Bible verses on fear and on courage and on Jesus being with us and memorize those as a family and really start to look, think about what does it look like to live into those. I think these are some great opportunities. Good. Thanks, Gordon. So our scripture reading is actually part of one long sentence Paul writes. It starts in verse 8 of Philippians 3, and it goes all the way through to verse 11. So he kind of gets on a roll, and he can't stop. And the portion that we read, verses 10 and 11, 
kind of gets right to the bottom line of what discipleship to Jesus is all about. And the verse, if we want to put it this way, reflects Paul's theology of Christian discipleship. And I would suggest that these two verses succinctly capture what it means to be a student of Jesus Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And we're going to focus our thoughts on this single verse from Philippians 3.10. And I chose this as our scripture reading today for a couple of reasons, three reasons actually, and this is really personal, just kind of emanating out of my own thoughts and feelings in these days of disruption. First of all, we're being daily bombarded with information from every conceivable news source, whether it's reliable or not. Some of what we're reading and hearing may be good and helpful, but it's overwhelming, at least to me. All the opinions, all the slants, all the predictions are just pushing and pulling me in all sorts of directions and filling my head with all sorts of data and all sorts of speculation. It is this blizzard of information. And as Colleen just mentioned, out of this, this fear is just growing. And I have to say, I'm just starved for an outbreak of truth. One writer refers to it as an outbreak of realism, Uh, kind of to get back to something solid something reliable, something we can say, this is something that God has given us. Let's sit on this and stand on this for at least a few moments. And Paul has given us such a rock in these two verses and in this one verse simply by pointing us to Jesus. The second reason for this scripture reading, uh, for choosing this scripture reading, is because I think it is crucially important these days for followers of Jesus to remember who we are, to remember what we are about, to remember what matters, and to remember what doesn't. Let me say it this way. The gift of disruption in these days can be a catalyst for spiritual awakening and for spiritual growth as we refocus on what it actually means to be Christian. And I mean be Christian right now in the midst of what we're dealing with to actually live by faith, to actually trust God. And the third and closely related reason for this scripture today, the majority of the Bible was written to those who were in less than ideal circumstances. Paul was in prison when he wrote the letter to the Philippians. The church in Philippi was in a very difficult set of circumstances for a whole host of reasons. In fact, Every church in the New Testament faced pressure and stress most of the time because of their faith. And yet the scripture, including the one I just read, never hesitates to call people toward maturity in their relationship with God, even though their lives are uncertain and stress-filled. And I'm struck by this. The way in which the writers of the Bible know that they are writing to people who are in less than ideal circumstances, and yet they do not hesitate to invite people to become mature in their faith. And so maybe we are now in the best position we have ever been in to actually hear what God says to us in his word, because our circumstances 
are just a little bit more desperate. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul redirects the focus of these less than ideal circumstances to Jesus. He is our passion in these days, that we would know him and the power of his resurrection at work right now and the community of participation in his sufferings so to become like him in his death. And I just want to walk through a couple of these phrases uh, as we reflect on this today. So let's think for a moment about this foundational idea of knowing Christ that is so prevailing in this third chapter of Philippians. Earlier in verse 8, Paul says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Everything Paul was, and he was a whole lot, and every bit of his religious pedigree is abandoned because of the supremacy of knowing Christ and of knowing Christ as his Lord. And then in verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and know the participation of his suffering. Paul is gripped by a desire to know Jesus. And he doesn't mean know of Jesus or know things about Jesus. He means to actually, personally, intimately, relationally know Jesus. So I have a question for all of us, young and old, and I'm sure at this point it's impossible to corral the young ones who may be with you, but maybe they can let go of the dog's tail or their sister's ponytail for just a moment and tune into this question because they probably have an answer to this. And here's the question for all of us. Do you know LeBron James? And I'm sure many of us know who LeBron James is. We know he's a great basketball player. We know of him and we know about him. Maybe we even met him once somewhere. But I doubt any of us really knows LeBron James. We don't know him personally, relationally, intimately. So here's another question. Do you know your mother or your father or your grandma or your grandpa? Now, we might not know all of those people, but we probably know one of them. And we know our mom or our dad or our grandma or our grandpa in a different way than we know LeBron James. Because we know our mom or dad or grandma or grandpa personally, relationally. We're closer to them than we are to LeBron James. The knowledge we have of our mom then is quite different from the knowledge we have of LeBron James. And when Paul says, I want to know Christ, he doesn't mean know him like we know LeBron James but like we know our mother or our father or our grandma or our grandpa or our spouse. Philosophers distinguish between knowledge of acquaintance and knowledge of description. I know Julie from my firsthand experience with her over the last 36 years, time together, interacting, listening to each other, taking walks together, talking to each other, arguing with each other, being vulnerable with each other, crying together, sharing deep pains with each other or dreams with each other. My knowing of her then is knowledge of acquaintance. I know LeBron James from what I watch on the television or read about. 
I know LeBron James from how reporters describe him. My knowing of LeBron James is knowledge of description. And in saying he wants to know Christ, Paul is talking about experiential knowledge, first-hand knowledge, knowledge of acquaintance. It is knowing like a parent knows a child or a child knows a parent, or like spouses know each other. It's close. It's relational. It's interactive. It is contact and communication. It's intimate. It's way beyond knowing of Christ or knowing about Christ. And it's good for these moments or two to mute the constant noise about the virus and remember for just a second, the essence of our Christian faith is not knowing about Jesus or knowing of Jesus. It is a present tense relationship with Jesus. It's inviting him into our inner world of thoughts and feelings and reactions. It is intimacy with him. As Dallas Willard put it, to know Christ in the modern world is to know him in your world now. To know him in your world now is to live interactively with him right where you are in your daily activities. This is the spiritual life in Christ. Let's talk secondly about knowing the power of his resurrection. The very power that raised Jesus from the grave is now active and available through the Holy Spirit in those who are Jesus' disciples or Jesus' students. It's an extraordinary reality to consider. The very power that raised Jesus from the grave, the Bible tells us, is active and available in those who have put their trust in Christ. And so in these couple verses we read, Paul unpacks in a little more detail what knowing Christ actually means. He says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. And again, he's not saying, I want to know about the power of the resurrection and what it theoretically can do. He's saying, knowing Christ involves firsthand experience with resurrection power in my life right now today. And then one day when I die, I will know his resurrection power more fully because his power will raise me from the grave to be with God forever. But this is key. Paul wants to know the power of the resurrection intimately, experientially, personally, right now in his actual life in prison for him, in these tough circumstances for him and maybe for us. He wants to experience the power of the risen Jesus in him and with him and through him even as he is in the midst of of less than ideal and difficult circumstances. So to know Christ means in part to know his resurrection power. That is, to have first-hand experience with the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And one way to think about that is to think about the dead things within us that he has brought back to life or is bringing back to life. The lifeless things in us he has or is infusing with life, the old self, as the Bible calls it, that is becoming the new self, the flesh part of us that is becoming filled with the spirit. 
And this brings us back to the gift of disruption we talked about earlier, the gift of disruption in our spiritual growth and journey. Because as we have experienced this international disruption of the norm, there are likely for you thoughts, emotions, reactions, attitudes, responses that are surfacing in these days. And resurrection power is available to transform those inner realities and convert them to be more like Jesus if that is of interest to us. So I'm not trying to sound cavalier here. I'm not trying to come across as heavy-handed or as aggressive in this in any way. But as Christ followers, life is not really about thriving the way we typically conceive of this idea. As Christ followers, life is most certainly not centered on getting what we want or on things going our way. I mean, it's nice when that happens, but it's not the axis around which our lives revolve if we are a student of Jesus. As Christ followers, life is not really about surviving. Again, I'm not trying to be morbid. I want to survive. I want to get home this afternoon. But for the Christian, we've signed a different contract, if you will. And life right now is about Christ. Our lives right now are about Christ, about knowing him and knowing the transforming power of his resurrection in our lives right now. Colleen mentioned this earlier. Resurrection power defeated the toughest of all challenges, death itself. And that undefeated power of his resurrection power is now available to be experienced by Jesus' followers. And I would suggest we think about this. Power available now to transform our fear about the coronavirus. Power, resurrection power, available now to convert our impulse to control everything at a time when we really can't control much. Resurrection power to transform our anger, our critiquing, our complaining, our discontentment, whatever it may be. And resurrection power brings an inner strength in the face of trial and adversity such as we are all currently experiencing. A confidence in God comes from resurrection power. An ability to look out upon this world and these circumstances with confidence God can still be trusted. That comes from resurrection power at work within us. This is what Paul clung to when he was in a prison cell. That resurrection power was strengthening him in those tough circumstances. This is what was going on with Jesus when he stood before Pontius Pilate. This power from God to stand there knowing what was in front of him without being shaken. See, Paul isn't manufacturing refrigerator magnets when he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. He's describing the Christian life from the front lines of real-life challenges and stresses, and fears. So last thing, let's talk about knowing the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, participation in his sufferings, as it is stated in the New International Version. 
As Paul further unpacks what it means to know Christ, he says participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Or, another translation says, being conformed to his death. And there's more here than we have time to explore. But Paul is reminding us that knowing Christ involves suffering and death. He experienced both. We will as well. Again, not trying to be morbid. Actually, this is a source of joy. It's a source of hope. It's a source of goodness. And I want to zero in on this phrase, becoming like him in his death. Much could be said. But knowing Christ involves a gradual dying to self. And to what self craves and commands and insists upon and demands. We can't know Christ or his resurrection power without learning to die to self because there is no resurrection without first there being a death. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, Paul says, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. We are given over to death so that Jesus' life is revealed in our body. So the self-oriented, self-driven thoughts, feelings, Reactions, words, complaints, critiques, fears, impulses to control must die so something new can rise. See, disruptions to my life and to my agenda and to my plan expose in high definition my selfish heart, my selfish inner world. I want what I want. And I get frustrated and annoyed when I don't get what I want. And this is the self. This is the flesh at work within me. When life does not go the way I want it to go, whether in a big way or a small way, my flesh revolts and it demands its way. So here's Philippians 3.10 in the MLV, Mike Lucan version. I want to know Christ. And I want my life to be the way I want it. And when it isn't, I want someone to fix it. It doesn't work like this. For the student of Jesus who is interested in living under his reign, it can't be this way. I can't have what I want and know Christ. Because resurrection only happens when there is a death. I think the Spirit of God is often saying two words to me, to Mike. And here are the two words. Grow up. And I think he rolls his eyes a lot when he says this to me. Grow up. Almost exasperated. If I'm not willing to die to self in the details of my inner world, then I do not really want to know Christ in the details of my inner world. And so the manifestations of the self that have perhaps surfaced in these days of disruption are precisely what need to die so resurrection power can bring forth something new. This is the gradual spiritual transformation of the inner being of a human being. And the witness of the church, the community of God's people, in today's world depends 
on the people of God being transformed by his resurrection power. A guy named Richard Hayes puts it this way, and this quote is in your app. Jesus' death on a cross is the paradigm for faithfulness to God in this world. The church must be a community living in conformity to the paradigm of the cross and thereby standing as a sign of the new creation promised by God. Think about that. The church as a living community in conformity to the paradigm of the cross. It's really simple what he's saying. The church is a community of people who are learning to die to the ways of the old self. And resurrection power is bringing forth the new self. And this new self is like Jesus. And a community of people growing like this stand as a sign of a new creation that God promised where people look upon the church and say, so that's what's li- what life can be like when it is lived under God. Let's pray together. I simply want to give you a moment as we reflect on these things, just a simple, brief moment to consider Paul's incredible statement as it relates to you. I want to know Christ. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I want to know the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Holy Spirit, we are in these strange times. May we enter into them with hearts that are open, with hands that are open. May we recognize the spiritual opportunity stretched out in front of us, created by this disruption. This opportunity to encounter you and experience you in a deeper and more intimate way, to move beyond knowing of you or about you toward actually knowing you in all of your goodness, in all of your grace, in all of your power, to actually knowing you in our inner being. And because of who you are, we find peace that passes all understanding, that holds our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus, even in these uncertain times. And we pray that whatever you need to do, that we, so we can come to know you more, more intimately, be formed by your resurrection power within us, be transformed from the inside and that this new Christ-like inside would manifest externally especially in these days of chaos and fear. We know that you are good. 
we know that you hold everything together by the power of your word. And we know that even now our very lives, our very nation, our very world is under your watchful care. And so we lean fully into you and we trust you. And we pray all this in the name of King Jesus who reigns over all of it. Lord, we celebrate you on this day. We, we recognize that these are uncertain times, but our hope is in you. Such a gift, such an invitation to, to know Jesus in these days, to trust him, to continue to open ourselves to him in fresh ways. We're thankful for one another. We remember today that there are people who are part of our church family who are hurting deeply these days. Their grieving has not been suspended because of a virus. And we pray for them in this time. We pray for them to be deeply aware of your companionship with them, that you would especially be their friend in these difficult times. We love you and we worship you. In Christ's name we pray.